The following is brought to you by Dustin Campbell, Daily Tech News Show, Andy Beach, Nick Wood, and Craig. Welcome, everybody, to the Politics, Politics, Politics podcast for July 14th, 2021. It's your old pal, Justin Robert Young. Joining you from Austin, Texas, we've got a great show for you today. We're going to be digging deep, digging deep back into history on this episode to honor... You know, one of the one of the greatest to ever do it. Your determination on what it is and whether or not his proficiency in it was good or bad for the nation, well, that's up to you. Anybody who's listening to this in Louisiana will know the name Edwin Edwards a colorful character who uh, died on Monday with his family at the age of 93. He was a four-time non-consecutive uh, termed governor of Louisiana. But what I want to focus on is one race, the race where he won his final term as governor. The year is 1991, and Edwards, scarred by scandal, marred by corruption, just an old face in an ever-evolving political world, faces off against David Duke, American Klansman David Duke. That's coming up in a second. Also, we've got an extended conversation with Andrew Heaton. He's got a new book out called Los Angeles is Hideous, a book of poems that is largely inspired by his brief sojourn through the Southern California city. It's a brilliant, brilliant, brilliant concept for a book because everybody outside of L.A. hates L.A., almost as much as the people inside of L.A. hate L.A., so a book about how much L.A. sucks will effectively sell to the entire English-speaking population. But we're going to go through uh, uh, things both uh, cosmic and microscopic in our conversation a little bit later. But first. Louisiana lost its only four-term governor yesterday as Edwin Edwards passed away peacefully with his family and friends at his bedside. Edwards was less than a month away from his 94th birthday. On Monday, Edwin Edwards died. He's a politician from a different age, a Dixiecrat who managed to maintain a reputation of effectiveness and corruption through four non-consecutive terms as governor of Louisiana. But... 
none of them, none of those terms or the elections that he had to win to earn them were as colorful as his last ride, a race that captured the attention of not only the nation, but also the world. A race that I don't believe our modern era of clickbait, blog outrage, and social uh, hyperreaction could even handle. Notorious corruption machine Edwards versus former Grand Wizard of the Ku Klux Klan, David Duke. At stake, one of the 50 most powerful positions in the United States and based on budget alone, one of the top 100 in the world, governor of Louisiana. Let's start with Edwards. Edwin is on a comeback trail by the time that we're going to meet him in 1991. He'd previously served two terms as governor from 1972 to 1980, and then after being term limited, came back and wins in 1984, serving until 1988. With every moment that Edwards is in power, comes accusations, accusations of corruption specifically, mob ties, appointed positions bought and sold to the highest bidder, real estate, and even a bribe from the South Korean government. But what defines Edwards is not the fact that he was always mired in corruption scandals, it's how he handled them. Quote Edwards, it was illegal to give but not illegal for me to receive. As you might have guessed, Edwards is famous for his wit. Here are a few uh, of his bon mots just to give you a sense of it. The only way I can lose this election is if I'm caught in bed with either a dead girl or a live boy. He described his opponent in 1984 as, quote, so slow it takes him an hour and a half to watch 60 minutes. And then... Uh, during the debate with that same opponent, uh, when the opponent asked Edwards, how come you talk out of both sides of your mouth? Edward, Edwards responded with, so people like you with only half a brain can understand me. Edwards wins again in 84. But the scandals keep coming. Edwards, among others, go on trial for charges of mail fraud, obstruction of justice, and bribery. After Edwards and his co-defendants are acquitted, a minor story breaks that this, the, the sequestered jurors had stolen towels and robes from the hotel. To that, Edwards quipped, well, I was judged by a jury of my peers. However, as you might imagine, three terms of scandal began to wear on the people of Louisiana. Trials drudged up unseemly details about Edwards, including rampant gambling and cheating on his wife. And that became even worse when Edwards' solution to budget shortfalls was to implement gambling. Although, if he could figure out a way to make money by cheating on his wife, he might have pitched that too. Edwards loses in 1988 to Buddy Romer. Romer's campaign slogan, anyone but Edwards. 
So by 1991, Edwards is a veteran in the woods of political society. You know, maybe it's time to take a step back. Friends counsel Edwards. They tell him that people like him. The glow of his personality will outlast the controversy. But the only way to make it worse is to run again. Besides, the guy who beat him, Buddy Romer, who's in his own party, hadn't been awful in his first four years. Edwards running would look selfish and gross. Quote Lanny Keller of the Shreveport Journal. The only way that Edwards can win re-election is to run against Adolf Hitler. Violence. Isn't the Home Secretary right in wanting to throw you out? No, sir. Uh, if you take a look at our country, I mean, my, the country that I come from, of course, my national origin's here, but the country I come from, you'll see that there's tremendous violence. The children can't even are afraid to walk into their classrooms. You can't walk into many American streets. And this is the widespread violence that will come to Britain if indeed the non-whites continue to come in this unending stream. Uh, the only way people can judge the Klan is by, you know, from our own lips, what we can say about it. And I'm here to say that anybody who wants to be a Klansman, the way to do it is not by being uh, violent, but by being legal and trying to work within the system. David Duke is the son of an oil man and an alcoholic mom. Primarily raised in an all-white neighborhood in New Orleans, Louisiana, Duke realizes quickly that he has both a passion and a talent for racist rabble-rousing. In 1974, Duke founds the Louisiana-based Knights of the Ku Klux Klan. And this is, unfortunately, something that has continued to repeat in our modern era. This racist loves the media. And the media loves to cover this racist. Duke's clan was a more professional, cleaned up around the edges version of the organization that had existed through the, you know, late 1800s through the 1940s. It had talking points. Duke, its figurehead, was in a suit and not a robe. He was a young, fresh-faced voice who could talk well on camera. The new KKK was not anti-black, just pro-white. It accepted women and Catholics. But, as it turns out, historically, organizations based on race hatred don't tend to have super-stable org charts. Infighting began almost immediately with some members of the Ku Klux Klan claiming that Duke is a crook. He embezzled money. He wasn't a good leader. I will leave it to whatever intern in the final records of history's archives has the great dishonor of diving deep into these conversations to see which racist was correct. But the result for Duke is that he's run out of the KKK by 1980. And he's looking for a second act. Duke ran for the Democratic nomination for president in 1980. Then again in 1988. But it's in 1989 that Duke had his first and only political success story. Duke switched parties. 
now a Republican, he ran for a state Senate seat, and it immediately became national news. Republican President George H.W. Bush, former President Ronald Reagan, the president of the Louisiana AFL-CIO, and the president of the Louisiana Association of Business and Industry all backed Duke's Democratic opposition. So understand what that is. The most famous Republican of all time, the sitting Republican president, the head of organized labor in Louisiana, and the business interest of Louisiana, all trying to get together to smother Duke's career in the crib. Unfortunately, it didn't work. In fact, the argument is that it might have backfired bringing in so many national guns at the exact same time only emboldened Duke's hardcore voters who wanted to have not only presumably a racist in charge, but also a protest against politics as usual, which, of course, is the DNA of any outsider candidate. Even then... Duke won barely. It was a low turnout special election, and David gets the win by 227 votes. But it's two years after this that he turns his eye on the governor's mansion. Here's something else you got to realize about this race both Duke and Edwards are underdogs. Edwards is running against a sitting governor in his own party. And Duke mobilized his own party's biggest guns to stop him from winning a state only a few years earlier. But in Louisiana, the state determines the finalists for a governor's race with what is known as a jungle primary. We talked about this a little bit in Georgia earlier this year with those special elections. But a jungle primary is when all the candidates from all the parties run in one primary. If one candidate does not get over 50%, so it's a total blowout, then they give you, uh, the, the, the top two vote getters then get to run against each other. Now, one part you should know about Duke in this moment, this incarnation of Duke in 1991. According to him, through consultation with Jesus Christ, he was a reformed racist. So, there's that. Then again, even in Louisiana, it seems like most voters bought that explanation as much as anybody currently following the story believes that former flamboyant firebrand Milo Yiannopoulos, hey, I learned how to pronounce his name, has successfully prayed the gay away as he is now trying to become a reformed homosexual. Oh, yeah, one more thing. The sitting governor of Louisiana in March of an election year decides to switch parties from Democrat to Republican. This alienates the incumbent governor of Louisiana from both parties, 
both the one that he left and the one that he's trying to join. And so, the jungle primary happens. Edwards, once thought to be a totally radioactive leper, a relic of a bygone era, places first. Duke comes in second over the sitting governor by 5%. And so, the stage is set. This is a tense election. Edwards is old hat, and a corrupt old hat at that. Duke represents a repudiation of politics as usual, and he's a literal Klansman. Local news reports describe the election day as tense. Unofficial sloganeering for Edwards sees t-shirts, bumper stickers, and more emblazoned with the slogan, vote for the crook. It's important. In the only debate, Edwards makes a conservative play for his old job. He knows how to do it, and no matter his past misdeeds, Louisiana is better than David Duke. Duke plays the hits on Edwards as a mascot for insider corruption, kickbacks, pollution, and more. Watched by the world tonight as two controversial candidates battle it out for the governor's mansion. All polls indicate this race is probably too close to call. Joining us now from our election studio is John Snell and Channel 4 analyst Ed Renwick with final thoughts on this. But when the final votes are tallied, the cagey veteran pulls it out. A landslide demolition of Duke by over 400,000 votes. It effectively ends Duke's serious political career. And so, like, I'm going to assume Milo will revert to his old habits at some point. Duke quickly got back to writing racist screeds and Holocaust denial for money. As it turns out, Edwin Edwards could beat Hitler, or at least the Kmart version. To add insult to injury, on the night that he wins, and this in no way could possibly be a coincidence, Edwards waits to give his victory speech after David Duke is out on stage giving his, therefore assuring that Edwards' speech as the winner would be carried over Duke's remarks. What a politician. But this is Edwin Edwards. And although I really wanted to bring you that story of 1991, that's not it for him. The scandals don't stop with Edwin. And neither did his legend. One Louisiana politician describes... Edwards thusly, quote, somehow his brashness and arrogance over the years, traits that would have destroyed the average politician, have only seemed to endear him with his core constituency, minorities, organized labor, Cajuns, and lower income voters. It's exactly those groups who have suffered the most over the quarter of a century he was in and out of the governor's office. Except for some black leaders who attached themselves to his entourage and gained political clout and monetary rewards through favors and appointments, the minority population as a whole has made very little progress culturally, educationally, or socially because of Edwin's leadership. It's complicated. He's popular, 
And especially for a show like this that looks at the mechanics and art of get somebody into a booth and have them press your button, he's an undeniable political animal. But his results are checkered. Not only the corruption, but as we just said, if he was there to be a champion of the working class, you can't really argue that the working class made a ton of strides from the early 70s to the early 90s. And all the while, the accusations never stopped coming. And in the 90s, they started resulting in convictions. It landed Edwards in prison or a halfway house from 2002 until 2013. Nearly in much, as much time in jail as he served as governor. On Monday... He died at the age of 93. Although, you'd be right to be suspicious of the reports. If anyone can cheat death, it's Edwin Edwards. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for being a patron of this show, if you are. If you would like to be, here's the place you go. TakePoliticsSeriously.com We got some fun stuff coming up. The money that you guys give me sends me to places wherein not only we can meet in person, but also I can continue to network and make this show better. The next stop is going to be Podcast Movement in Nashville, Tennessee. We are going to have a meetup. We will have details on that very, 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 very soon. Now, you get something for your money when you are a patron of this show, when you go to TakePoliticsSeriously.com. You get two bonus programs. And as our Wednesday and Friday free shows tend to become a little bit more evergreen because I want to make these, I want to take some chances and, and make these things a little bit more historically relevant. Obviously, if there's big news, we're going to cover it. But look, aside from some whispers on the the soft infrastructure bill, there's not a ton of major news right now. But then again, on the Patreon, that's where that stuff lives. So if you want to get that on the Monday podcast, which is where we break down all of the Sunday talk shows, or the Thursday show, where we get... Uh, into the late edition, the latest possible news that can break is going to be on that Thursday Patreon episode. If you want it, that's where you can get it. So head on over there right now. TakePoliticsSeriously.com Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the show. A man for whom needs no introduction. You can just go talk. Is it is it me, Andrew yeah, it's Heaton? You, Andrew Heaton. Let's. Oh yeah, uh, great to be back. Yes, <laughs> I always wanted to do that. I figured this was the moment. Yeah, uh, Andrew. Has- it was a great power move. I didn't know how to respond. <laughs> uh, Heaton's got a brand new book out. Everybody needs to buy it. It's not a choice. It's mandatory. Yes. Uh, if you like this show, you got to go buy it right now. Uh, LaIsUgly.com is the website, but the book is called Los Angeles Is Hideous. Uh, uh, before we get into anything else, let's make sure everybody knows why they need to buy this book. Uh, you should buy the book, audience, because it is the funniest book ever written about Los Angeles in coffee table form. 
There might be some funnier works about Los Angeles by like maybe Chaucer or Shakespeare or something like that. <laughs> but I, I'm fairly confident. I think this is the funniest book ever written about Los Angeles. And if you've ever driven through Los Angeles and thought, my God, what a hideous asphalt carbuncle. Why did anyone decide this was a good idea? This book is for you. And for I know there are people listening who fled Los Angeles at some point over the last year, as did I, and did the reverse Oki thing and put your mattress on your jalopy and got out of town. This book will make you feel much better. Where were you thinking of moving when LA was first on the menu? Because I remember talking uh, to you about it, but yeah. you had just left the blaze uh-huh. and you were, I think you were just still bopping around Dallas, which is where their headquarters. I wasn't even bopping around. I had no reason to be in Dallas once the blaze stopped. Like, yeah. I like I have Dallas is unique unto me in that it is a city that is blazingly neon neutral. Like I don't wish mm. I I would kind of like it if if LA like broke in half and and half of the media relocated to Austin or Chicago or something. That would be beneficial to me. Like I would like that. Dallas, I have nothing against. I have zero desire to ever go back under any circumstance. I just don't like I have nothing there. I got uh, I got I left the program and about a uh, yeah. about a week later I Are was we gone. We're not allowed to say. We're not allowed to say. I don't who, who broke up with who. Yeah, I just as a matter of course I usually don't. I, although don't, I, I think it's public record. You don't say the f word. Yeah, I, yeah. Uh, and, and I got to be careful because NDAs and things like that. But I'm literally hanging out with yes. them later, so I think we're no, no, no. I know there, there, yeah. there's no yeah. yeah. There's there's no anima- There's no animosity. And also for the best. For everybody, I think for everybody every, involved. It was it was better. Everyone that you is created happy the that I I went yeah. off on my little rowboat and have been doing the political orphanage, and I've been much happier. I think it's been better for the Blaze. It's been better for everybody. It's like yeah. you know what it's like, and I think Blaze listeners will appreciate this. It's like when England left the European Union, and the European Union could sure. do its whole European Union thing. Yeah, build this utopian, and, and England got to do its own thing. In this instance, I'm England, and I went off and did my own thing. Uh, I, Dallas was never on the menu. I left there. There's some nice things about it, but it just wasn't a city for me. I, um, I thought about moving to Portland because yep. I love trees and I hate sweating yep. and, uh, and, and I like quirk. And so Portland was on the menu. Austin was on the menu, but, but as previously noted, I just, I, I don't ever want to experience 85 degrees Fahrenheit again. This is the reason why. I don't know where, what bizarre uh, climate controlled universe you and I would live in the same city, uh-huh. which that would be amazing. It'd be great if we were just like next door neighbors, we would just do nothing but create content that right. both of our audiences would really like, uh-huh. but we'll never live in the same city because I really enjoy hotter climates and you are abhorrent. To I, if yes, if I, I mean, with, without exaggeration. I do not want to experience anything above 85 degrees Fahrenheit ever. Like yeah. may, may I literally two days a year, 90 degrees would be pleasant. Like two days a year to just go, oh man, glad that's over. Yeah. Don't I appreciate the 364 days a year that I don't want to kill myself and all other people on the planet in this horrible oven? So that unfortunately that knocked out Austin because Austin is a, a great city. Like I, I feel it. Austin is like this cool, awesome Beautiful woman that I would absolutely marry, except there's this one like horrible thing that clearly will never work. Like she's like she's a Catholic nun and I'm an atheist. <laughs> and like we can't they just for that we can't do it. I'm like, oh man, if you just quit being a Catholic nun, yeah, I would marry you. Uh and, so it's like season two of Fleabag. Uh you're in a season two of Fleabag is situation. That the plot to Fleabag? 
uh, the season, the second season. Yeah, she falls for a for a, a, a hot priest. Oh, cool. You know, maybe I'm a hot priest in this category. I maybe. Feel, I, I feel like I've got a very clerical vibe to me. Yeah, and maybe Austin's Phoebe Waller-Bridge. Yeah. I maybe that, a little that, that bit sounds, too erratic. Yeah, but, uh, I, but I thought about it with Portland. I thought, I thought Denver would have been cool. Portland uh, would have been terrible for you. I think- It would have been terrible for you. I think given that the pandemic happened, and or was going to happen, maybe even- even worse than LA, as horrible as that is, was being locked in a rainy city, not knowing anybody, while being on fire at the same time. I, like a I, rainy, smoldering, fiery city. I love Portland. Portland's one of my favorite places. Uh, that being said, there, in general, I found that the West Coast has a lot of, like anything else, it's got a lot of local, you know, politics, regional cultural politics. Yeah. That go around. And I don't mean who you vote for or who you don't vote for, although that's certainly part of it at a certain point. But nobody ever talks about it because all the media is cre- all news is created on the East Coast. So it's like you don't really ever hear anybody talk about it. You know, everybody, you know, with a national media spotlight is gonna tell you, like, well, I don't know. I think Eric Adams should be the mayor of New York right. City and not Catherine yeah. Garcia, but Andrew Yang's coming up. Yeah. And they can go seven deep on a national television show and talk about that. But you're never really gonna understand that there are elements of Portland and Seattle that are like Austin, but even worse. Mm. Like they are cool blue centers to states that are more red than you think and are different in how they are red than even some other uh, uh, more hotter climate, like rural kind of stuff. And I feel like you would find yourself in a place where there is a gigantic divide culturally of politics. Yeah. We're in this city because we're not 30 minutes away and, and you giving me any kind of conversation. I mean, like it, it would, I would guess it would, it, the, the, the breaks would have been hit on any first date with like, oh, I just came from the blaze even faster than they would be in a place in LA where at least they could appreciate like, oh, I don't know, media reach. Right. Like, you know, yeah, that's a good point. Yeah. You, no, you're right. And, and like, no, you're absolutely right about that. My, my horrible lot in life is I instinctively, like I instinctively look for the Mexican standoffs where there's a bunch of guns pointed at other people. Yeah. And I walk in and put my fingers inside the two guns and go, guys, we can all figure out a way to get along, can't we? Yeah. Everybody hates that guy. Yep. People hate the voluntary ambassador. They want you to die. They want you to be shot because they love their war. And uh, I, I will say, um, when I went out to Portland, I was there for a week. I, I was pleasantly surprised because I was worried. What what tends to happen? Like, I was just talking to one of my good friends in New York here a couple of days ago. Yeah. And he, for like two years, thought I was a Republican. And I'm not. But the reason he thought I was a Republican was because when we would sit around a table and everybody would like talk about how evil Republicans are and how they're all bigots and stuff. I wouldn't, I would just be like, well, I don't think we should vote Republican either, but I, you know, not, not all bigots. Right. And like, that was in, the fact that I agreed on Republicans are bad, but didn't vociferously indulge in the hate yeah. was enough to make me a crypto Republican. And I was worried that it would happen in Portland, but my experience in Portland was Portland is so wildly electrically homogenous in its politics that they can't even conceive of anybody that's not wearing overalls holding a pitchfork uh in a maga hat being anything different so like i would just mm. i would get into conversations with people and they're like well like you have all of your teeth you're uh you know you clearly you're one of us and, yeah. and, and then you'd hear people like you in that weird micro bubble you'd hear people say things like look we all want an idealist like Marianne Williamson we might need to go <laughs> with a pragmatist like Bernie Sanders, yeah. If we're gonna pull this off, and I was yeah. like, oh, like I don't even compute because I'm just not like, even on on the same spectrum, right? So, so I, I was Port- like, invisible Portland was on Portland was on the list. Yeah. 
I made a brief pitch for for Oakland. Yeah, that that might have been the only place because that actually climate wise, yeah, would be would be would be the way to go for for you. But and, you were never really interested in in the Bay Area. No, I, I just don't know that many people out there. I just yeah. I don't have that said though. Northern California is stunning. I gotta say, like Northern California is absolutely beautiful. I, like I'm a huge tree guy. Yeah, like. Very much into uh, Shinrin Shin, uh, Shinrin Yoko forest bathing. Like, yes, I just, I just take weekends wandering around forests and Northern one of California. my favorite words that I had never heard until you had mentioned it when you were out visiting yeah. in, in California. What, what, what are my favorite moments hanging out with you in Oakland when yeah. we were covering it? Is on Fridays we would get a beer, smoke a cigar, and walk downtown. And this one time we're walking downtown, and I just look. There's we pass under a tree, and I go, "Is that Myrtle?" Yeah, <laughs> and I grab a big bunch of leaves yeah. and crush them and start smelling. You just burst out laughing. It was, it was among, <laughs> you know, uh, uh, when when I tell you, dear listener, who I'm sure is delighted by Andrew Heaton stopping by the show, that Andrew Heaton is a cartoon character. Like he is. <laughs> like like I. There's just not. There's no other way uh, uh, to to describe. Like last night, you came back from from flying in from Tulsa. And you just, for whatever reason, like you are the only guy who's still without like a a boardroom to go to as soon as they get off the plane. I think you're always on a plane in a suit or mm-hmm. at least a jacket. Yeah. Like, like you're like, oh God, uh, I'm running low on time. I got to really bum it on the airplane. <laughs> only a silk smoking jacket and khakis. Oh, I hope they don't ding me for that. I'll get so many looks. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. Uh, but all right. So, so uh, uh, Portland was there and then, and then. I think I eventually settled lobbying for LA to, to put you in LA because I thought that that was a, I'm a big supporter of everybody. If you didn't grow up on the West coast, give yourself a couple of West coast years. Mm. It is, it's a different vibe. It, it gives you a different sense of a, it gives you a sense of how gigantic this country is. So you don't just confuse mm. America when, when, and especially politically, when you're, when you're thinking about America, you're not just thinking of it as one place where you grew up, but it is a totally different set of like, just like time, like concepts of, of, of how reality works and is different on the West coast. Space, I'll argue. Yeah. Cause, Cause like, so I'm in Tulsa now, fine city where, where, where I've, I got a grant and I've been out there since May. Um, in Tulsa, the biggest impediment to me driving from one side of the city to the other is if I hit a series of red lights. That's a bad day for me, mm-hmm. traffic-wise. If mm-hmm. I hit red lights, I'm like, oh, three minutes later than I thought I was going to be. I'd go all the way across town, 20 minutes. Los Angeles is fascinating in that regard, logistically, because time and space both alter depending on the time of day. Where I am a mile and a half from you at 2 p.m., I'm 40 miles away from you at 5 p.m. Yes. You were in a different state at 5 p.m. Where it, it's like elastic. Where like, like you're, oh, you're, I'm in, uh, I'm in, uh, on Franklin and you're in Sherman Oaks. One o'clock. Oh, we're like, we're neighbors. We're 15 minutes away. Five o'clock. You live in Kentucky. I cannot yes. get to you. I am not visiting you. Every neighborhood's basically its own state. And people, once you're settled there, you don't want to leave your neighborhood. You just don't go anywhere. There are a few places where if you're a rookie, you think because you're going into this city that you're going to see your friends. Mm-hmm. LA and Vegas are probably the two biggest ones because New York's got a mobility to it. Like you can have a friend in far Bayside, Queens, and 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 you can be in Manhattan and and you can meet in the middle fairly easily. Yeah, you know, like you, you can you have figure to, that's it out. The other thing about, about New York too is you do meet in the middle because Manhattan is the ligament that holds everything together. You're going to pass through Manhattan in your data, in, in, unless you... 
unless you work in Bensonhurst somehow, yes. yeah. you're going to go to Manhattan. So you can all, you can all meet up there. Yeah. Uh, Although you're not going to go, you're not going to go from Queens to Bensonhurst. That's not. But Vegas has the vibe where like, if you are on the strip and you know, people that live in Vegas and they obviously are not on the strip, then like you could say like, Oh cool. I'm going to be in like a uh, Vegas for X amount of time. And they know, no, you're in a place that's designed to keep your attention. Mm-hmm. So unless we're making very deliberate plans on a very deliberate like hour, then then we're not seeing you. Like mm-hmm. you're going to be on some edible upside down in a pool bar <laughs> while somebody is spinning records from, you know, 1985. Uh, LA, if you do not make plans with somebody to like meet exactly where they're going to be versus where you are and you've got like reservations then there's no way you might as well be in another state. And yeah. like this might is like, Oh, it looks like a pretty, my hotel's pretty close. It's not. Yes. And it's never going to be. And either you got to go visit, you got to drive to your friend's apartment because you are just learning the hell that is Los Angeles traffic oh, or you I'm, ain't going to see I'm, nobody. I'm just, I'm having like PTSD flashbacks. I hate that city so much. <laughs> I just like, and I, I have to explain this to your listeners. It's not that I hate the people. Yeah. It's like, I don't like, it's very common. Like, I really don't focus, like, there's one or two poems in my book. There's there's a poem where I make fun of that, like, veneer of, like, what do you do? How can I use you? But I don't really focus on that because I don't like- It's like, not like fake LA. Yeah, like, it's yeah. So I have really good friends that live in LA. I'm sure that there's really good people there. I don't really have a problem with the people. I just think that city is so astonishingly hideous. I truly think it is an affront, like, like, like if, if, if the globe needed an enema- it would go in through LA. It is such an <laughs> ugly place. It's just this asphalt carbuncle connected by varicose veins of traffic, all leading to strip malls. And it's like, I moved the first time around, I moved there yeah. from Edinburgh, one of the most beautiful cities on this or any planet in the world. It's all castles and Georgian architecture yep. and cobblestones and bagpipers. And you moved to LA. The third act uh, uh, action set piece of Fast 9. Uh, yes. Yeah. It, uh, no, I saw it. I just, it was a couple of weeks ago. Uh, it, John Cena is on a, a, a zip line that may be four miles in, in total <laughs> length. Anyway, go ahead. But then, yeah. You, you get off in LA and you're like, this is just, it's like a series of poorly planned cities tumored into each other and then were called a city and then gave up and then tried to reproduce by pollinating through garbage. It's just, I just, oh, I can't stand it. I hated driving through it. And, and like the only thing it has going for it is like, like people are blind to the garbage. They're like, but it's, there's so much sunlight. And I'm like, yeah. right, that, to, that to me. But you is, hate that. I, yeah. Cause I don't like being hot and sleepy. Yeah. I, I don't like, oh, but it, it, it's just, it's like taking this horrible, like three day old spam you found in a Tupperware container in your mom's house and then just smothering it in gravy and being like, look, all the gravy. Isn't it great? Look at all the gravy. I don't care. Beaches are just a desert with a hole at the end. If you want to be tired and surrounded by dead fish and sharks, go for it. But by the way, there's beaches all up and down the West Coast. You can go to any other city that doesn't look like some sort of a abortive attempt at an- Also, or- yeah, LA beaches suck. Yes, I just- They're just, they're just also bad beaches. Anyway, you point, can't get into the water. I realize this is a bit of a tirade. I have to say, the book no, is funny. No, this is the point. This is the point. We want to have you on. This is, I, I don't even think that we planned on doing this, but but now we're doing all just <laughs> politics of cities. Like, as in, like, not even, like, what they what they vote on, but just, like, the, the, the feelings you get within them. Now, I've, in my domestic travels, 
I've come to kind of put cities in certain baskets. Mm-hmm. L.A., I think, if 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 I were to uh, uh, do it Pokemon style, where there's like a small version, a medium version, right, yeah. and then the fully evolved version. Yeah, yeah. L.A. is the fully evolved version of the medium uh, Dallas. Yeah. And the micro More Orlando. Yeah. yeah. Like just sprawl. Well, but it's not quite the same. I guess I don't know where Chicago fits into it because Chicago is is also, but Chicago kind of feels almost more Ch- like Ch- London. Chicago at least has a core. And like I don't like Chicago actually seems like a city to me. Like, like but it Los is Angeles all, Los Angeles is like a mold out. slime that eventually congealed into asphalt. Like it doesn't have a core, it doesn't have a nucleus. Like, like a when cell. I, I remember when I when we first flew into London and you realize that Heathrow is like a, a, a right. billion miles yeah, away yeah, from yeah. anything. Or like London Luton, which is actually in France. It's so yeah. far away. Yeah. Uh, but you drive and you're just going through city. Some of it's more built up, some of it's not. But you're driving through city and for like an hour and a half. Like it is just all going through like this large, large, large city. And that's where I guess, yeah, LA is the sprawl. Here's the only thing that I'm curious that you never, never found charming. Cause you do feel like a classic man on some level. And I do, whenever I'm in LA, if I'm going to think about it in its most romantic before all of these strip malls were CBD stores and uh, <laughs> you know, who farted bumper sticker right. uh, uh, custom manufacturers, like it does feel like that Eisenhower fifties. Right. Like it has that that Art Deco vibe when like everything involving Hawaii was super cool. Like yes. every nightclub like was like the Honolulu club, right? And like really really cool people would wear Hawaiian shirt. There was, yeah, there's super Hawaiian vibe to it, and like pink flamingos and that kind of thing. I I enjoy I enjoy the actual 1950s Art Deco architecture that you see in LA. I think that's fun. I enjoy the time capsule element of it. It's not nearly as proliferate as people think it is. What no. mostly exists there is sad attempts at Adobe hovels that someone has spray painted sea green foam onto. It's not the same thing. Yeah. Right. But when you encounter like an actual drive-in or something, that's great. Can I, I can bring it back to politics. Though, Let's go. Yeah. Because yeah. a significant part of the reason that Los Angeles is so horrible demonstrably is because of its incredible political failure steeped in racism that has not yet been undone. And it's it's not singularly unique in this regard. Yeah. But like there's a poem in the book called uh, Sprawl by Edict, which again, I have to stress is funny. Yes. Despite the fact I'm going to tie This is a funny here. book. LA funny is book. ugly. It's a funny book. LA yeah. is ugly.com. Go buy it. It's a lava minute, but also yeah. here's a, a, a serious political yeah. point about you're, redlining. You, you're hearing the animus which created this brilliant yeah. work of art right now. You're hearing the, the behind the scenes But you can put this bit. on your coffee table right. and see people are going to flip it and go like, this is funny. Yeah. Yeah. That's but, going to happen. So LA, I don't think anybody would deny that it's sprawling and that it's a yeah. pain in the ass to get around. And the reason for that is not happenstance. It's not just that it's a big city and that they didn't have an island like Manhattan. It, it's they they made it happen because of racist housing regulations. And I don't tend to be a person that like points at stuff and goes, that's racist because dot, 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 because I, I, I hold back. These were overt racist housing regulations. Yeah. The state of California, and again, this is not unique under California or Los Angeles, but this, it's emblematic of it. Uh, the first re- regulations that zoning regulations LA had was specific to Chinese immigrants. And I, I looked into this. The original zoning regulations were you couldn't have laundries in the city limits of Los Angeles. And I was like, 
Okay, well, that kind of makes sense because maybe chemicals. No, it's because Chinese people owned the laundry facilities. They didn't want any laundry people there, which is a Chinese people there. Then under FDR, and this is when LA becomes LA. Under FDR, there's the Federal Housing uh, Federal Housing Commission, which is trying to get everybody in America a mortgage. And the city fathers of Los Angeles went, "Uh, wait a minute, could black people get mortgages? And they're like, technically, and they're like, oh, we got to stop this. How are we going to stop this? And what they decided was, that black people prefer apartment complexes and multifamily units. Yep. And so we're going to ban them. And they did, and it's still on the books. Los Angeles, at this time, 80% of the developable real estate that you could build a home in in Los Angeles legally cannot be a multifamily dwelling. You cannot legally build apartments in 80% of Los Angeles. And the other thing that they had going for them was... They wanted to zone things to have neighborhoods of individual houses yeah. as one, white people, and two, they were part of neighborhood covenants where in order to buy a house in that neighborhood, all of the neighborhood had, had to, to agree. meet yeah. you and agree you were the right kind of people. And it was an overt, specific attempt to keep black people from moving into Los Angeles. Now, Los Angeles is not racist like that anymore. I think that it's probably very unracist compared to a lot of cities in America. They haven't got rid of this dumbass provision yeah. that's making it sprawl out like pouring cellulite on a driveway. It's just this this ugly putty sp- maple syrup spreading <laughs> it at one inch thick across a hot, hot cement because they can't build up. They've outlawed building up. Yeah. I mean, that gets into the reason why we're doing this conversation in Austin and not and not Oakland. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, if, if if there were more building and that LA is certainly a part of it, but it's not unique, uh, you know, to the larger cities, including San Francisco and Oakland. But, you know, the, 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 the difference was in the Bay area, it was a little bit more neighborhood specific. Mm-hmm. Uh, like that was the place where I, where we were living. It, when we initially found that apartment, it was because of a Craigslist listing that said historic apartment for wealthy bachelors of color. Right. Yeah. And it was because that neighborhood, that part of our, of, of the Lake Merritt area was, um, uh, the only non-race lawed, mm-hmm. uh, uh, area there. But yeah, I mean, and, and you can say that those are, are chickens that are coming home to roost because those laws on the books, you know, uh, uh for whoever they benefit, whatever racist nefarious purpose they, they benefited back then, now you have people that will still back it because they are are building businesses or their properties are worth more yeah. because there's there's nothing else there and now you have a, a significant housing crisis like I, I think for all of the the hatred toward California with with the exodus of which I guess me and you were both apart uh-huh. uh the biggest problem is you know there's no opportunity to stay in and around the place that you might have liked and granted you did not like the place that you no. were but there, if you did, like yeah. it would have been hard they, they, to get they, a house. They have a demonstrable severe housing shortage, and I don't remember what the exact exact numbers are, but it's something like over the next ten years, the state of California at large is going to need and not have a million homes. Yeah, and a significant part of that reason to the state level is that California put in a law in 1993 that uh, locks in whatever your property tax is at the time that you buy the house. So that is to say, if you buy a house for $60,000 in 1994, and it's now worth $800,000, you are paying whatever the property tax was when it was $60,000. So if yeah. it's 3% of $60,000, that's your property tax rate, even though your, your value's increased, right? So it's, it's meant to be an anti-tax measure. 
Normally, I'm an anti-tax guy. This is a very stupid way of trying to do that because what it does is, if you're a town, you basically have two ways to raise money. I mean, because towns can do, they can do bonds, they can do sales tax, and they can do property tax. Property tax is generally the way most cities go. Um, If you have a housing division you're going to build now, well, you can't, you already know that all these people that have been here since 1993, who are going to absolutely pass their house on to their kid, who's just going to rent it out and pocket the difference, you can't raise money on them. So you're going to have to raise property taxes on these new houses by like 20% in order to make up the difference. Or alternately, what a lot of the time happens in Los, Ange- Los Angeles and throughout California yeah. is I'm the mayor, I'm the city council, and I'm going, well, I know that even if we build new houses, we're not going to be able to raise property taxes on them as inflation happens, as all these different things happen. But that doesn't apply to commercial ventures. So I'm going to look and go, what I need to do is I need to try and find some place that sells a lot of stuff because I can charge them on sales tax, which means used car dealerships. Yeah. So what I'm going to do is I'm only going to zone for used car dealerships. I'm only going to zone for crappy, hideous retail strip malls because those have pro- uh, a merchandise turnover that I can charge for sales tax in order to fill the municipal coffers to pay for roads and stuff because I'm not going to get it from property tax. And so yeah. I'm, not, I'm, I'm legally not going to zone an adequate amount of houses to be built. I don't see anything changing there either. No, I don't. For what? For one as thing, much as you hate it, like the weather is is is. If if you indeed have pores that can tolerate sweat, uh, uh, like L.A. is is a a a good climate. It's not my favorite. Yeah. Uh, but the Bay Area was always a touch too cold. But here's what it is: the same. Yeah. Almost every well, that's, day. That's almost why all L.A. Year. exists. L.A. exists because it doesn't rain. And it makes yes. it very easy for shooting. That's it. There's nothing yeah. wonderful about LA. It's just a desert. Even though all the morons there want to have lawns and water it like it's goddamn Vermont. <laughs> and, and then they're they're amazed that they have a friggin' drought every couple of years because they haven't adapted to the fact they live in goddamned Arizona. Exactly. They want to pretend that, that, that they live in the Phoenix. Mediterranean. That is fancy Phoenix. Ah, uh, yeah. I um two of the poems of the book uh that deal with this this climate stuff. One of them is called yeah. Only Cowards Fear Winter. Yeah. And I didn't quite get it out of my system. So there's a follow-up poem called More About Cowards in Winter. (laughs) So I have a lot of that stuff in there. Uh, I think you're right. I don't think it's going to change because um, people that are too febrile to handle frost will always gravitate towards uh, Los Angeles. And then beyond that, a lot of these regulations that we talked about, there's too many entrenched interests. Um, The the property thing that I just mentioned, the statewide issue, uh, anybody that has a house, which is to say the people with money, um, don't want to get rid of that. Like, why would you voluntarily suddenly, you know, change your your uh, your your yearly property tax? No, like two hundred dollars. It's, a, it's, a, it's to an 4, insane $4, investment. It, yeah. It's a great investment. So that's no one's ever going to get rid of that. That would that would require. I mean, it would require like basically fiscal implosion in California to the point where they rewrote the constitution or something. So yeah, yeah, I don't think it's going to change very much. What I think could change is. Um, What's what's happening in a lot of cities, which is just the, the pandemic proved that a lot of us can work remotely and yeah. a lot of people have, have left. L.A. and New York will always be L.A. and New York. Like New York is always going to be like I had on a, a Larry Sharp on, on my program a few months ago mm-hmm. who's in Manhattan. Great guy. Really fun guy. And he was like, like New York will always be New York. It'll always be a theater hub. It'll always be a comedy hub. Um, but like in the case of New York, a lot of the finance is leaving because a lot of the financial companies that didn't think you could remotely trust your idiot employees to work from home are now, you know, been doing it for a year and they're going, wait a minute. So I can hire somebody from like Oskaloosa yeah. for $40,000 as opposed to the $120,000 I was paying some guy in Manhattan. Meanwhile, the people that moved to Manhattan from Oskaloosa are like, can I just go back to Oscaloosa? Like I'm 40. I don't want to be here anymore. And uh, I think that's happening to some extent. I'm rooting for Austin. I hope Austin, I would, I would love nothing more than for Austin to become the third coast media hub 
comparable to Los Angeles or New York. Um, I like as a creative person, as a comedian, it only benefits us to have more spots to go to. You, you need a critical mass of creative, yeah. funny people that you can interact with. Once that's achieved, there's no major windfall for you, but it does become way more expensive to live in and it does become way more difficult to navigate. But if you've got five or six options where you could go LA or Chicago or New York or Atlanta or Austin, I would love for that to happen. I mean, I do think though that part of it is what does each city specialize in? Like, you know, Chicago, if it's not, you know, the media capital of the Midwest nationally is like improv, like improv right. comedy. If you, yeah. if you want to be an improv, you go to Chicago yeah. for X amount of time. Like even if you're in New York, you, you want to play, you want to do shows in, in Chicago. Absolutely. Right? And Los uh, Angeles is a meat grinder that starlets are tossed into. It spits out <laughs> bits of porn star. Basically. Yeah. yeah. I mean, so like, yeah, film, TV, uh, uh, the rest of the media is in New York. Right. Comedy is in New York. The, theaters in New York. Theaters in LA New York. For, for theater. No. And, and what I wonder is there was a homogenization that happened through my twenties where like, I think people who are younger than I am don't really appreciate the fact that like, if at any time on a random whim, you person who does not live in New York, LA, maybe Miami and, and like three or four other select cities, have have had the following the following Saturday woke up a little late went to went, went to brunch with like a menu that had a billion different things and you and you substituted uh, four of them and and maybe there was an amakaze option where some chef brought you a thing and then you went to a brewery and uh, uh, they had a, a bunch of things that they had literally just made over the last few months. And then you went to an independent movie theater and you saw a, a movie by a director that just came out two weeks ago. That used to be a thing that happened in three cities. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 100%. Like, now it happens in every major city that you can that you can yeah. name. And that's, that's a good- every city that is in Johnny Cash's I'm Been Everywhere. Right. Yeah, yeah, you're <laughs> and right. And they all have exactly that oh, experience. That's perfectly well. No, yeah, and you're exactly right. So like, like I'm back in Tulsa, right? Or I'm back in Oklahoma. I'm now in Tulsa. In, o- in Oklahoma in like the early 2000s, I think Delta thought about making its hub in Oklahoma City and it literally went, we can't do that to our employees. Like we can't, <laughs> like we, there's nothing to do here. There's some cows and yeah. a lot of cars. And like, and I get it. Right. But like now there's all this stuff going on. The, the, the other thing that I've noticed too, that, that was lost on me. And like, you're again, you're hundred percent right. Like, like now that I'm in Tulsa talking to people from Tulsa, they're like 10, 15 years ago when they were growing up, there was nothing to do. There was like a movie theater and a mall and a dumpster you threw rocks at. And exactly. that, was, that was the entirety that was of what you that could That was do, a right? hot Saturday Otherwise night. it was just pre, premarital sex, cranking out babies in the back of a car. Exactly. Yeah. Um, but that has changed. Now there's stuff to do. The, the thing that I'm like, I'm trying to wrap my head around is I think that there is a, um, while it would vary for everybody, I think that there's sort of like a, a mean optimal size for a city where you get all the fun stuff without being overwhelmed by it. Um, so like 10,000 person city, you're not going to have a lot of stuff to do. It's just, yeah. it's not capable of sustaining quirk. You need, you, you, you can, you can maybe have like the odd, like Taos, New Mexico or like a uh, Marfa or something like that. You can yeah. have an artist colony. Right. But generally speaking, if you're going to like Jowls County, Wisconsin, you're not going to find a lot of stuff to do. Right. No. Um, you need to have like probably 300 to 400,000 people minimum, I think. And at that point, you get 400,000 people. You can have like Thai food, sushi. You can have restaurant options. You can have weird stuff. Um, but the two things that happen before it gets massive, 
are one, you're more inclined to go out and do stuff. Because I found in New York, and but I, I like New York. I like visiting New York. Uh, if I made 10 times what I currently make, I'd probably live in New York. But New York, I've, when I lived there, poor as hell, right out of college, yeah. I my, my, my first thought was, this is a city as cool as your bank account. Yes. Like 100%. if you're, if you've got, if you're, if you're balling. Yeah. Great like, Great and, and, and that was even pre Uber. Like that yeah. was just like, Oh yeah. It'd be nice to take a cab when I'm going out as opposed to huddling onto the subway or wondering whether or not the last train is already leaving so I can get back to my apartment right. or whatever. It's like, Oh no, all everywhere I go will be in Manhattan. I'm going to live in Manhattan and, and that'll just be what it is because I'm rich as hell. And I live in New York to, to, to enjoy New York. You need to either be very young yeah. Where you can like live in bunk beds and it's funny or very wealthy or very hot. Now, in my case, I'm incredibly handsome, yeah. but <laughs> I'm not that young anymore. And I'm certainly not that wealthy. Um, the, the thing that I found that happens in New York, New York clearly has a billion things to do. You're yes. Ne- you, you have to work. Whatever to you can think of, somebody is doing it yes. the exact way you, you think about like, it right now. You, you want to go kite flying with blind Hasidic Jews. You can do that. That that microculture probably exists. Yang and, dominated that that uh, that demo. <laughs> in the, in the, uh, and sadly, that was the only one that, that Yang dominated. It, yeah, unfortunately, um, he tripled but, down but, on but, it. But the two things that happen in a, in a huge city like that that I noticed is because you are so overwhelmed and bombarded with stimulus all the time, you you get a kind of hunkered down citadel mentality to some extent where you either just hang out in your neighborhood. I think a lot of people from New York tend to do that where I, I live in the, uh, you know, little Italy or I live in, in whatever my, my borough is. And I don't really venture forth from there. Um, or I found that like, like despite how diverse New York is, I subconsciously ended up clumping with other like aspiring upper middle class uh, college educated people. And I like, it, it ends up, you don't do as much because you're so exhausted and you're more likely to stay home, at least in your thirties plus and like watch Netflix than go do things. Tulsa size of that city, not that psychologically arduous to wander outside and look for things to do. So you can and, you just be like, all right, it's six. I'm kind of hungry. Why don't I just walk, yeah. walk around and, and I'll just like, see, like what, the, see the, what's the, good. The, the other day there was this, uh, adult tricycle race where they shut down Denver Avenue or Boulder Avenue. And it was this adult tricycle race and 600 people gathered to throw water balloons at them. And it was You've just been like- You've sending me the weirdest yeah, videos. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Heaton just, apropos of nothing, first, a couple of weeks ago, sends me a thing where I, do, <laughs> I have to watch it three times before I realize it's him diving into a tank and 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 noodling uh-huh. a catfish. A 70 pound catfish. Out of a, a fake cave like yeah. while people cheer. I'm like- <laughs> I'm like, is this like a side gig? Like, it's how you, you become mayor. It's like Excalibur. <laughs> Whoever's able to to get their hand into the mouth of the catfish and hoist them up out, then you become. A, sadly, he's he's scurried away, so I'm not mayor. And I, I'm like, um, uh, I, I, I send you like a, like a coy kind of like what, <laughs> like hoping there'd be an explanation. Nothing. Like absolutely no follow up. Then like two weeks later, it's just like like oh guys, sorry, I can't play VR board games with you because, and then just a a clip of what looked to me like Mario Kart, but I guess yeah. it was adult tricycles and they come around this corner and in, I can only describe as either snow cones or balls of ice or, <laughs> or, or, or uh, partially uh, jagged Freon, like just a, 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 a hailstorm, like, mm-hmm. like 300, like, yeah. like uh, our arrows will plot out the sun. So we'll fight it in the shade level of, <laughs> uh, of projectiles slamming into these tricycles. And again, I'm like, 
what is happening in Tulsa? <laughs> Nothing. Like, so you are living in a quirky city. Yeah, I'm living in a quirky city, and it's it's similar to Austin because Austin's a quirkier city. What, what's interesting about Tulsa is it doesn't know it's quirky. Uh, I love Austin. No, nothing negative to say about Austin. Austin's very aware it's quirky. It's Austin. I think I think Austin and this. I might shh, like if you're from Austin, you're gonna get pissed off by this. Keep it to yourself. I think Austin's officially transitioned oh. from quirky to cool. Oh, it's like this is like hip Whole Foods level now. I think. Oh, because it used to be like taco store that sells gramophones. Now it's Whole Foods, and I've got a scarf. Like Portland is quirky. Still okay. like Portland, like has like the, 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 uh, the hipster, they'll like find like a corner store and turn it into like, okay, cool. We're just going to white label all these products and make Wes Anderson labels on it. And like, that's just a thing that exists because it's cool because mm -hmm. it's Portland. Right. Uh, Oakland has that to, to a little uh, to, to a certain extent as well. Austin is, I, I just feel like everything that's happening here has happened for a long time. Sixth Street's been around for a long time. Now it's kind of transferring from like a place where people who legit like good music to go mm. to Bourbon Street. Like at some point, Bourbon Street was a place where you could go see really, really good jazz. Right. And then at a certain point, yeah. it just became like a place where- Bur Bourbon Street's just a gutter for frat boys to vomit in. Exactly. Yeah. And that's like, people are worried about that with Sixth Street. Yeah. Uh, uh, it is becoming a little bit more like even- you know, I watched it change with South by just coming here for South by that initially with the tech stuff, it was all very much this, like it was bizarre, but it was organic in, all right, I'm a nerd. I start a company now South by is where uh, all the VC funding is. And so it's a bunch of people between the ages of 20 and 60, mostly guys that are going to have their own little spring break. But that means that you can find a drunk VC and they could be like, this is a great idea. Here's a jillion dollars. And so they would spend this crazy amount on parties, but it felt like it was there for a reason where now, and it hasn't happened in two years. So hopefully when it comes back, who knows what it'll be. But at the point that, that, it, that it shut down, it was very much media buys. It was like, this is the Viacom house. Like, please look at all of our upcoming uh, uh, products that are going to be here on Viacom. Uh, and I don't know. I feel like Austin, it, it being only here a couple months, I, I, I think cool. Now it's, it's cool. It's, yeah, I think you're right. It's 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 gone because like there's there's an ecosystem, and there's not an ecosystem. There's a life cycle to this kind of thing, right? Yeah. So like when I moved to DC back in 08, um, I like first place I stayed literally first, like first place I stayed in DC, I stayed at Gallaudet school for the deaf yeah. because it was, they, they rented their dorm rooms out. So I was like the one not deaf guy there for a couple of months, which is awesome by the way, because you can sing as loud as you want <laughs> and you can like frankly sneak up on people. And like it was, it was, it was really fun. Um, the only time I got in trouble by the way is there was this really cute redhead that would play uh, soccer in a sports bra. And I got somebody to show, like show me how to say you are pretty. But I, you're supposed to wiggle your fingers, and I didn't do that. So I said, you are blackface. Oh, my God. <laughs> Which I think was less offensive than just confusing to her. And, and so we're not married. But at the time, <laughs> though, that neighborhood was, like, right on the bleeding edge of danger. Yeah. Of, like, like I would leave and, like, talk to the guards who could hear me. And they would go, um, like, if you want to go down uh, whatever the main drag is. I, I can't remember the name now. Uh, you go down, and they're like, it's fine. Don't go north of that main drag. Yeah. You will get in trouble. 
keep your head on a swivel because there's these guys with socks full of quarters that'll smack you. And like they just walk around with a sock full of quarters and they like smack you in the face with it. This seems to me like a really weird way to rob people, but in any event, it was a thing at the time. True. And uh, the the places were really cool. Like my favorite place was called uh, the Palace of Wonders. And the Palace of Wonders was literally a bar where the owner had like encountered a failing freak show that went out of business in the 80s. And he just bought Bought everything. He bought all of the artifacts, like three-headed beagles and shit. And made it into this cool bar. Yeah. And there was all this stuff like that. And then and then what happens is it goes from that gritty, kind of dangerous level. Then artists move in. Then once the artists move in, then college kids start moving in. Then it gets really cleaned up and, and beautified by the gay community. And then after that, there's a Whole Foods. And then it's done. And now once the Whole Foods happen, it becomes laminate, plastic, collated, safe, easy. And it's no longer the weird, cool, quirky place. I mean. I, I would say there is there is that step between before it gets totally you know a, a sabarroed mm-hmm. like there <laughs> there is a, 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 like because I would never describe South Florida as quirky. It, South Florida is not quirky, but South Florida is cool in that you're going to walk into a place that is well designed and there will be a a a 22 year old fashion model that you can pay for your drinks and cocaine with uh-huh. like. You know, there there is an element there. And I don't think that that Austin is necessarily going for that vibe per se, but I do think it's moving more into the $22 craft cocktail yeah. vibe as opposed well, it, to the like, go go to this dive bar where uh, you're gonna see the three-headed beagle. Right. And it's 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 also very self-aware. And again, I like Austin, I have a lot of friends here, but it's very self-aware that it's it's like, you know, like, oh man, I gotta go polish my ukulele. Like it's very like they're aware yeah. of it. Whereas like when I was at that that event where they were like stoning people with water balloons in Tulsa, yeah, I like there were like three people in a cape. Cool, well done. Everybody else though, <laughs> I got I got the distinct impression that they just wandered out of their house and like, hey, we're throwing water balloons at folks on Boulder. You want to come? Shit, yeah, it's hot out. Like, and we're unaware of how weird it was. We're just like, this is a fun activity. I guess maybe part of it is like, is this the most fun this city's ever had? Like, uh, oh yeah, Tulsa yeah, for and, sure. And so it's like when you're on the come up. That's what it is, is that it's like something really fun happens. And then everybody says, because it's the most fun that city's ever had, that the next year they're like, oh my God, are you going to go to that thing? It was so much fun last year. Mm -hmm. And and then it becomes a tradition and then it becomes homogenized and then it's sponsored by Citigroup. And and then somebody falls when they get hit with the water balloon. So now everyone just yells water balloon when they go around turn three. And and then eventually it just ends because nobody cares. Yeah. Well, I, I think the other thing too is I think going back to the optimal city size, I do think there's an optimal level to to be a melting pot, right? So like like New York is historically not a melting pot. New York is historically a mosaic city. There's yeah. an, an Italian neighborhood, there's there's a, a there's Germantown, there's all these different neighborhoods and they, you know, they peacefully get along for the most part. Uh but they're 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 very like they're homogenous pockets buttressed against yes. other homogenous pockets. And my experience there was that while it wasn't ethnically segregated so much, it was definitely socioeconomically segregated. Like it was you just, I encountered all sorts of diverse people from different ethnic backgrounds and, and income levels driving my Uber. And that was like the extent yeah. of it, right? Whereas like Tulsa, mid-sized cities in general, I go to the cigar bar, which when you come visit, I'll take you there. Yeah. The cigar bar uh, that I go to, it's one of two cigar bars in Tulsa. So if you like cigars, you're going to go there. The result is it is the coolest, most pluralistic, diverse social environment I've ever hung out in in my life. It is a combination of urban black guys that rock up with bling. 
white pudgy fat guys and plaid shirts from the surrounding suburbs with accents. Yeah. There's this older, fantasy baseball. There, there's guys. an older farmer that looks just like if Prince Charles had an affair with a lady in Oklahoma, <laughs> there's uh, like uh, my, my, one of my friends is transgender. One of my other friends is an older gay, uh, a gay black guy. Uh, and, and like everybody gets along. And the deal is like you, you're going to meet all those people because you have to. And yeah. We're, we've all agreed beforehand we're going to be friends. This we've is, all decided we're going to be chill with you. Each have, other. You have just described the awkward conversation Avengers. But it's great that like I'll, I'll go get a beer oh, there once a week. Uh, and when, when 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 say there's a porch when somebody um when somebody parallel parks the whole bar gay straight transgender white black everybody shouts how many times they've had to back up. Oh, they really? count one. Two, Two, three. three. And by the time we get to like six and we're all laughing, it's like, we're all on team human. That's good. It's just a nice, I don't know. It's very multi I will say I love, 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 love cigar bars. Uh, uh, Not just because I love cigars, but because there's something about it being smoking, having been demonized forever, like cigars just being unpleasant for a (laughs) large percentage of the population that like there is just a friendly a friendly vibe. Like you walk into a cigar bar and like, and, and as much as I do believe that everybody, every, uh, a, a stereotype that you just described, right. Is somebody that if you just randomly were waiting in line with them, the DMV, they wouldn't like, right. aside from you, you would be yeah, the only yeah. one who would flip your hat comically is down that your hat. amethyst pendant? Wherever did you get it? Exactly. Well, hello. <laughs> and then do your little beginning of musical <laughs> montage. Uh, uh, but everybody else, it was like, maybe it take a little, a little bit, right? Somebody might, you know, uh, uh, take a little bit to warm up. Not at a cigar bar. Everybody is very happy, yeah, yeah, yeah. like, uh, 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 to, to talk. Uh, everyone's very uh, uh, inviting to start a conversation. I was actually at a, a, a cigar bar here in, in, it wasn't a bar. It was just a cigar place in Austin. And actually, well, I, you know, I, I just described Austin as not quirky. And I will now explain that I'm at this cigar place and there is, what is, you know, all the Japanese names, the, uh, I, I, I know one Shinrin Yoko. Okay. <laughs> uh, uh, the, and there's, there's a term samurai. For the, what is a samurai wearing? I think just armor. No, 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 not, 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 not armor, just like, the cloth, the cloth, like, like just, just the, the, kimono? I see. I want to, is that a unisex thing? I don't know. Okay. Don't know. Whatever. H- uh, half of my Japanese terms are from the Ninja Turtles. So I, I don't. <laughs> a, a, a kimono for a, a guy. If that uh, is good or bad, I, whatever. Like, I just, there's a dude wearing that Japanese dude wearing that. He also has the samurai, um, the samurai uh, ponytail. Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but he was just sitting there watching the euros. This is getting quirkier by the second he's watching the, 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 the England, uh, Italy Euro final. And it's just the nicest guy in the place, sitting right next to me. Uh, mm-hmm. whenever my cigar goes out, he's offering his cool, like lighter and everything. Anyway, I, I think Austin bars. still has it. It's just aware of it. Like, like, when when I was here last time, one of my friends was showing me this picture. One of her neighbors is, he gets very drunk, puts on a full, like a full suit, like pink bunny costume, and then yeah. rides a horse around East Austin. <laughs> so there's still a fair amount of that. Austin definitely has that like, welcome to Austin. You go into the turtle race? Like that's definitely here. It's just that I think a lot of the cool kids are aware of it and want to like build it into who they are, right? Yeah, yeah. I might've said it too soon. Maybe, maybe I'm only willing to say it is, Austin is verging, mm. verging on, on, on cool mm. from quirky. We'll Where, see. Whereas I think Los Angeles traffic's in hot. 
Like, yeah. are you are you hot? Are you young? Are you gorgeous? Like, I was really thrown off by the sheer amount of like, you meet all these old dudes that are clearly in their 70s that are just, from what I can tell, is running like jet black shoe polish through their hair. Yeah. You meet ladies that kind of look like cats because of the amount of cosmetic surgery <laughs> they've had. And you you left like, from behind, you're like, you're, you're figuring out their, their age by looking at their elbow like rings on a tree. Yeah. Where you're like, mm, okay, about 50. And like nothing wrong with being these ages, but it like in LA very much not okay to oh, age. Oh, it's and a vanity. I, I found that a vanity very business. It, it is a very big vanity business. Here's the one thing that you missed that I do think and we'll go out on this uh, silver lining for LA while we plug Andrew's book. Uh, LA is ugly.com is where you get it. It's called Los Angeles is hideous. Please go buy it on Amazon. Leave reviews, 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 yeah, reviews really, really help. Uh, uh, but also buy it. So the one thing that I feel like you never got a chance to be a part of that is in LA that I do think is extraordinarily valuable, especially for creatives. Swingers parties. <laughs> well, there's that. Uh, uh, yeah. There is so many polycule opportunities for you. <laughs> uh, uh, just cuddle puddles as far as the eye can say. <laughs> um, just the element of, Oh, I've met three friends. We're going to shoot a short film. Yeah, I agree. No, that is, that is this weekend. That, and it's like somebody that has pro level cinematography yeah. and, and you are writing a funny script. I, I, I and, do feel robbed about that. Cause that, that is something that I'm very aware of. Like you do is a creative person. You do feel like a, a mosquito above a throbbing vein when you're in Los yes. Angeles. You're, you're aware that yes, I, I, I am with you on that. And that's why I moved out there was, I thought I'd be making fun stuff. I thought I'd be, make, I'd be meeting cool people. And like, I happened to get an apartment one month before lockdown <laughs> Uh, which utterly, utterly obliviated that. That was the cruelest. It was yeah. the cruelest. So thing. like, not happening now. But yeah, that I, there there are benefits to L.A. You know, I just, yeah, I didn't get to appreciate any no, of them. No, no, so no. Far, I think, the balance I think is you not got, in his favor. You, you like knowing you, it was the worst possible situation. Yes, it could not like it. It it was only lacking jigsaw from the Saw movies. <laughs> Like by the end of it to be like, 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 have you considered what you've done? Like, <laughs> like you, it was everything you like in life, uh, uh, uh taken away everything mm -hmm. you hate in life magnified by a hundred, but you dear listener will have something that you love in life. When you get LA is ugly.com. That is Los Angeles is hideous. That's the name of the book. LA is ugly.com is where you get it. Yep. Los uh, Angeles is hideous poems about an ugly city. It will boom. change your life. It will. Andrew Heaton. Always a pleasure. Always a pleasure. Thank you for having me on. The Politics, Politics, Politics podcast is written and hosted by me, Justin Robert Young, for Dog and Pony Show Audio in Austin, Texas. If you would like to get the brand new book from Andrew Heaton, you can go and uh, visit the website that he set up for it. LAisUgly.com If you want to tell Andrew Heaton who did a good job with that book, you can head over to px3guest.com. If you'd like to email the show, it is theyoungamerican at gmail.com. Our Twitter is px3tweets. Our Twitch is px3live. Our newsletter can be found at px3newsletter.com. And our podcast can be shared with friends, family, foes, all the same. px3podcast.com. If you want some politics merch, you want to, you want to flash that you're a fan of this show, you head on over to one website, politicsmerch.com. Meanwhile, there are ways that you can monetarily support the show. If you'd like to make a one-time, one-time, one-time payment, 
Uh, all you got to do is head on over to the following options. PayPal.me slash PayJury is PayPal. Cash app is PX3Cash. And Venmo is Justin-Young-20, where we continue to have this argument on whether or not Venmo money is real. Uh, Aaron gave me a dollar and said Venmo money is quantum money. It's real until you try and spend it. Hmm. While I appreciate your ability to push this conversation forward scientifically, Aaron, I think we're going to need more evidence. So send me your Venmo money, Justin-Young-20. Of course, if you would like to get uh, bonus content, only one place to do it, takepoliticsseriously.com. Our $3 tier gets you two bonus podcasts per week covering all the news that we miss on our free podcast schedule. And our Titanic $10 tier gets your name read at the end of the podcast like these. Fine. Folks, headphones, Neil, Dr. G, the other half of Whiskey Wednesday, Idris, the Government Unfiltered Podcast, 100 Mile Runner, Berkeley Steven, Kathy Max, Zombie Doc, D. Really? Methuselah, honeysuckle. The Gen, Middle Age Mike, Dotcom Junkie, Calamity Zap, D Laser, Lord Scale, De Quince, Anile the Third, and Gloria Young for King of the New World Order. Utah, Jimmy Montana, Chad, Snuffies, Off Route 44, David, Charles, Olin and Angela, DL, Miranda, Janelle, persons familiar with the matter, Robert, Casey, Paul, the most conscientious nonpartisan listeners, Brad, just another pilot, Will, Frozen, Summers, Jay Pink, and Andrew. One more time, if you would like to have your name right at the end of the show, one place to do it, take politicsseriously.com. Next uh, episode on Friday, we are going to have Matt Donnelly talking about the politics of Springsteen. Very excited for that. Join us, won't you? Till then, this is your old pal Justin Robert Young saying, some shows talk about politics, others talk about politics, and still more talk about politics. But this, this is the only show that dares discuss Howl three. Diamond Club hopes you have enjoyed this program. <laughs> Dog and Pony Show Audio.